0: pray amen and here's why we're going to Philippians we're going to spend our time in Philippians between now and I believe it's the end of March leading up to to Easter we're going into Philippians and why Philippians here's why because Philippians is one of the most if not the most encouraging and joy-filled book of the Bible the Apostle Paul is the author and he mentions joy and rejoicing 15 times and even better in him mentioning joy and rejoicing 15 times he mentions the name of Christ 50 times 50 so do you know where Paul gets his joy in the person of Jesus Christ
1: So, on one key, there's three strings attached to that one key, and hit just that one key again. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. We're like, oh, oh. But then, as he moves it, tunes it, all three of those strings line up perfectly to make one sound. That sounds right. That's beautiful. It is. There it is.
2: So, those three, and they, yeah, they, they make one sound when they're all in tune. And there's no way that you could ever play with other notes. Unless that tune is not only in tune with itself, to a, but then to a reference pitch, which all other notes are based of, so that when you play chords then, it sounds in
1: tune. And so what you're saying is we have all these individual keys that have to be right on the inside. Each individual one has to be right in and of themselves in order for the whole set to sound beautifully together.
0: The Philippian church itself was desperately poor. It was persecuted for the sake of christ it was being attacked by false teachers it experienced sickness even to the point of death there were quarrels within the church that were threatening to divide the church and yet paul says to them rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice why because jesus christ and his gospel message is what changes everything real gospel equals real joy.
2: Any time you see the fruit of righteousness, you have to admit it comes through Jesus Christ. Because the last statement makes that explicit. He says it's to the glory and praise of who? Of God, not you. It is not to your praise. It is to God be the glory alone. And so as you think of that, on the day of Christ, when God brings us all to completion, You will see how God worked in you these very things, because he's the one who's already promised faithfulness to do these things in you, if you are his child. And you will see the full beauty, the greatness, the worth, the magnificence, the supreme value of God, and the response from all of us pouring out of our mouth for all eternity is praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's our response everything that you do every morning you wake up as God in His grace and mercy is working in your heart do not be discouraged by the process continue in it continue in this prayer pray this prayer knowing that God is the one again who's faithful to begin he will bring it to completion
1: so what prison do you feel like you're a part of where do you feel like you're being hindered is it a job is it a relationship is it your health some type of inability within your physical body that you can't do the things you used to be able to do, and so you're tempted to think that, man, I'm, I'm hindered in my work in the Lord? Never, never, never. Because the gospel is powerful, and God will use any circumstance through you to get this good news out to the rest of the world, and that should be our passion. It's why we exist. So don't elevate the man. Elevate the God who works in spite of the man. There are too many of us, too many of us who have too many opinions about the motives and assumptions of the motives of people's heart, and we ironically get to a place where we complain about churches being on every corner. Think about that. We complain that there's churches on every corner. Like somehow that's a bad thing. Like when is the multiplicity of churches going to excite us? Man, there's the church down the road that's preaching. And there's a church down there that's preaching. The gospel is being proclaimed in the midst of darkness. Who cares the motives? God will deal with that. So it doesn't matter what the world system is. Citizens of this earth are focused on themselves. But citizens of heaven are
0: living according to the responsibilities and the rights that they have under the law of heaven.
1: And the law of heaven is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Corey tunes this perfectly, which he did, I sat here late, uh, what was it, Friday night, as he's like, I am just like, yeah! He got it perfect. If this thing sat here for five years and he went and played on it, do you think it would still be in tune? No. It has to constantly be tuned as time goes on. It would get out of tune as time goes on. We must maintain it. We must constantly be reminded of this. We must constantly be fighting and destroying the flesh that wants to serve self. Look to Jesus with the same mindset with each other and serve each other selflessly.
0: Today's passage says this, that he is getting his good pleasure from you. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose and for his pleasure. That's what today's message is. If you don't walk away with anything else, know this. When and if you are a child of God, he is always going to get his good pleasure from you.
3: He's going to be with Christ. That's exactly what he wants. So even if I am to die, rejoice with me. Be glad with me because I would be with Christ, that's the end. So it's a win-win. If I stay here, I'm glad because I see your faith increasing. If I die, be glad for me because I'm with Christ, amen. Is there anything that you and I could grumble and complain about when we have that sort of
2: perspective? There's nothing for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul has just praised
0: Timothy and Epaphroditus to us. These guys are clear examples of how you should live your life. They have received the person of Jesus Christ and now they're living and they're serving on his behalf. They're not dependent, their worth is not dependent on their service. Their worth is dependent on their salvation. And as a result of their salvation, they're serving God with all their might. And now we have the opportunity to consider who else in your life would you put in that blank?
3: So ask yourself these two questions. What is it that I believe makes me a better Christian? What is it that you believe makes you a better Christian? And this is in terms of thoughts towards other people because I can compare myself with other people and believe that I am actually a better Christian. And then the second question is your thoughts towards God. What is it that I am tempted to believe that in doing it, makes god happier with me what is it that i'm tempted to believe that doing it makes god happier with me because those are the things that you and i need to repent of and go back to again the simplicity of the gospel preached and this might be a reason why you're not rejoicing in the lord you're not even focused on the lord you're focused on your efforts and your actions you're too busy trying to rejoice in yourself
2: that's the danger as you rejoice in something. Rejoice in the Lord, he says.
1: This is amazing. You're talking about a guy who would have had reasons for confidence in the flesh, who had done everything perfect, is now saying, I don't feel bad about losing that. This prideful man that would have, that would have seen himself as something for people to look up to. God has humbled me and helped me give up to that. I no longer desire that. I don't count it as anything. It's not a trophy on my shelf that I look back to and I'm like, look how great I was. No, it's garbage. It's garbage. Because I want to be found in Him, in Jesus. I don't want to be standing before God with my own righteousness
3: that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. But I think the temptation for most of us is to think that we are at least far better than other people. I've arrived in comparison to others. And Paul says, I'm not even gonna look at that comparison. I'm going to look forward to Christ. Because notice he says that I press on to make it my own. So he recognizes the distance, he recognizes the lack, but it doesn't diminish his desire to press on to know Christ. He says, I want to make it my own. So if I could read it again, these, these words are similar. So the idea of obtained, is the same word as make it my own so he says like this
2: not that I've already grabbed hold of it but I press on in order to grab hold of it and then he says because Christ Jesus has
3: grabbed hold of me those are all the same words isn't that amazing and I've turned
0: my focus on Jesus Christ forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead and what lies ahead for him is a life in in relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that He is in charge of all things. He is His Savior. He is His Source. He is His Strength. He is His everything. Knowing that He can't do anything apart from Jesus Christ, driven to a place of humility.
1: The road to peace is paved with several things, reconciling differences, rejoicing always, no excuses, and then being reasonable, showing that, letting that come out of us, and showing reasonableness and gentleness to everyone. So, the force versus the summit. Someone who's struggling with this might be saying this, you have offended me, how dare you? I'm right, you're wrong, this isn't fair, right? That's someone who's not reasonable, not gracious, not showing that. Eyes are just on what's going on around them, preferring themselves. Someone who's looking to the summit would say something like this, I just want everyone to experience the grace, the grace of Jesus through me. I've experienced it from God. I want everyone else to experience it in me. Is that where your heart is?
3: In fact, he, he doesn't promise to remove the chaotic circumstances. I would say he actually promises to permit them and allow them in our life. And some of us would say, well, why in the world would he do that? And I tell you it's because he's good? That God is good to do that? Because we become so satisfied in ourselves. I become so satisfied in my ability. As we talked about in Philippians, we become so confident in our flesh and we so quickly forget our need for Him. And so the greatest thing that we could see during this time is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord and to be reminded that He is far greater than we know Him to be. He will strengthen
0: you to endure the times of abundance and the times of need the times of plenty, the times of hunger. When you were brought low and when you were abounding, He will strengthen you to face those things.
3: That the gospel would be declared is really the purpose of us partnering together. That people would recognize that there's a love between us, that there's a compassion, that we're benefiting one another through this whole time. And that that's our focus. And notice it is fueled by the last verse of the letter. He says, it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is with our spirit. He focuses them lastly on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is always the thing that fuels all of us for this work. We are going to do nothing apart from the grace of God. So you and I need to be focused even during this time that God's grace is not absent from us. His love with his people are with us. People love one another and we love you during this time. And we're trying to point you to the grace of God and to the gospel so that you would have joy during this time, that there would be contentment during this time.
1: Good morning, Summit. It's uh, another Sunday, and we're excited to get into a little bit different uh, study today. Um, Didn't that video just make you miss and excited about one day us getting back together and if you think about it, tell uh, Bjorn Johnson, one of your elders, thank you. He made that video all on his own, mm. and it was phenomenal. And it rejuvenated me and got our minds wrapped around the Philippian studies that we had, and uh, excited to get into it, which is what we're doing today. We're gonna overview the book of Philippians. We, we started it way back. When did we start the book of Philippians? Back in- Early September. Early September. And we had planned for it to be done by Easter, but given the events and things that happened, Uh, here we are, finishing it at the end of April, and that's okay. Um, One of the things that we talked that happened for the book of Philippians that was different than Ephesians was we had some things happen in the middle of Philippians that didn't happen with Ephesians. And I think things that have distracted what we've been studying and teaching. And so Philippians, I think more so even than Ephesians, needs this overview to get our minds Uh, wrapped around and remembering what we've gone through. So, first question we're going to answer, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Todd, is why in the world did we, in the first place, choose the book of Philippians?
0: Well, it actually turned out to be easier to come up with the next study than we um, had originally expected. Um, It was it's 2020. It was the summer of 2019, and we had just come through the Ephesian series, and uh, we were as elders and staff, we were sitting in a room together and we were discussing multiple times, fasting and praying over, Lord, what do you have next for us? Um, we had come out of un, an uncertain season. We just started getting our feet under us. We, we spent time in Philippians and and then we were at another place just like we were before we started Ephesians, thinking of Jehoshaphat's prayer in 2 Chronicles where he says, Lord, we, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. And so Lord, what do you have for us? What do you want for us to to walk through? And as we were talking, a a similar theme kept coming up from discussions that staff and elders were having with people within the body of our church, Summit Church, and and it kept coming around to people were struggling with and dealing with anxiety, and uh, so. Philippians 4, 4 to 8, very, very popular passage kept coming to minds of elders and staff, rejoicing in the Lord always. Say it again, rejoice, um, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, take your request to God. And, and so um, Philippians was laid on the table as we looked through the book. Um, we decided we believe this is what the Lord wants us to do. You know what's really amazing? We, we talk often in the life of our church about our sovereign God being in control of everything that happens. And and I, I don't know about you, but that brings me so much peace when I hear our God is sovereign, our God is sovereign. I don't think we can say that enough to each other. And so think about where we were summer of, of um, 2019. Here we are starting January, m- more deeply into it in February and then March. And here we are all the way through April with this... this um, the world's reaction to this pandemic, the coronavirus. Looking back now, God was expressing his sovereign plan for us in January, February, March, and April, um, that we would spend time in a book that would be focusing on why we should be rejoicing in the Lord. And uh, so so that's kind of how we came to it, and that's God's sovereign expression of his control over what he knows his church needs.
1: Good. Yeah, I think we started the quarantine, and then when we started with Philippians, it what was the themes in the book? It was joy, peace, anxiety, contentment, all of, division, all of these things, like God knew exactly what we needed to hear during this time. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what's cool about it, even yeah. in the youth studies, talking about Governing authorities. God's sovereignty has just been all over our church. Yep. And uh, we, hope, we hope, brothers and sisters, you've been blessed by experiencing God bringing what we needed during this time. Yep. So, why Philippians? Todd just explained it. So here's what we want to do now is we want to talk a little bit about the, the title that we chose. Because the title, as you can see at the bottom right here, is it's, it, it's more than just a title. It really represented what we were trying to communicate through the book of Philippians. And the title was this, Real Gospel, Real Joy. Every, every single week, we brought it up, we talked about it, we tried to tie it back to it. But I think it would be helpful if we reiterate why real gospel and real joy. So let's just talk about, uh, help, help, let's help each other understand this, and then i got some examples from the book of Philippians that support this title. So why real gospel, why real joy? Why is that important?
3: Yeah, I mean, as I think just obviously, the gospel produces... A reality in the people that it changes and one of those realities over and over again especially in the book of Philippians is this expression of joy in the midst of anything that happens and so you see it evidenced in Paul you see him putting it forward as the norm for the life of a Christian those who understand and are participating in the gospel and that's just one of the facets of the expression of the gospel but Philippians seems to highlight that one in particular as it emphasizes what God has done for us in Christ, here's how you and I are called to respond to that.
0: Real joy, real joy, as Paul speaks of it, is a, it's a supernatural experience um, that can only, that can only be experienced by the person that has the Holy Spirit of God in him or her. Yeah. And so real joy can't be experienced without coming to the real gospel. And the real gospel is our access to relationship with God. And as we come into relationship with Him, then He pours His Holy Spirit out in us. And we are able to experience that supernatural joy that that transcends any life circumstance.
1: Yeah, Yeah. We chose the word real uh, and gospel, real and joy, because there's a fake gospel and there's fake joy. The gospel is this all-encompassing person of Jesus and everything that comes along with having a relationship with Him. So it's this good news. How does this good news affect our life? And we're saying, based on the book of Philippians, that real joy comes from that. But we made a point, I think, through several of the sermons to make the point that there is a message, a good news that's going out into the world in the name of Jesus that that is not the gospel. And it's it's taking jesus as a means to get worldly comfort and pleasures Mm -hmm. and and success Mm -hmm. and that is still humanism at its core being deceived by the name of jesus Mm -hmm. and so philippians does a good job of pointing like hey if you have the real gospel it doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change it means your heart's going to change in the midst of hard circumstances and that's why if you have this real gospel you'll experience real joy and real joy Mm -hmm. shows up when it doesn't make sense to the world mm-hmm. for the hard circumstances, yep. all right. So let me let's look at some verses here. So we want to help you see kind of some examples. In verse uh, in chapter one, he says this: "He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ." So how does this represent real gospel, real joy? Well, if you have this promise that there's something that began in you and it's it's going to be accomplished and finished, that means. That's a promise that no matter what happens in your life, he is going to sustain it and bring it to completion. That's that's a reason to rejoice. But if you don't have that gospel and that promise, then there you don't have the joy. You have uncertainty and confusion, right? So let's 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 show another verse here. Right? Charles, what do you think about this one?
3: Yeah, I, I love how Paul, throughout this book, again, he's he's reflecting on his circumstances. They're very knowledgeable of where he is. In fact, they send a gift to him to help his need. And he says to them, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And again, as you think of that idea of joy, your joy is going to be typically based on circumstances in your life, if it's worldly joy. And Paul is reminding us again that His focus is on those things that actually last, and therefore there's a lasting joy that he has because the gospel is the very declaration of those things that will last forever. And so he says, that's my message that I have to give to people, and it's this circumstance is serving to advance the very thing that I love, so why would I not rejoice Mm -hmm. over this? The gospel means more to me than my circumstances being the way I want it. So I will find joy in the midst of this because the gospel is being declared. That's amazing.
1: That is amazing. What, what do you guys think if, if Paul, take away the gospel from Paul's life, complete the sentence then? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, how would he complete the sentence without the gospel? He probably wouldn't say brothers. He'd probably say, I want you to know, dudes, or y'all, I don't know whoever he'd be talking to.
3: Well, he could say, it's really served to uh, mess up my plans. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know now what to do in this circumstance. Mm-hmm.
1: I want you to know that what has happened to me really stinks. Yeah. And hopefully I can get It's out really
3: it. inconvenient right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Send spies to help me get out. It's unjust. Yeah.
3: I shouldn't be having this happen to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Revolt. Help me. Someone attack the guards when they're not looking. Right? <laughs> but that's, that's what we're mean by this title. That's it. All right, one, one more verse and we're going to move on. This is a section. This is the section in chapter 3 where Paul is showing that the work of God in our life is far more powerful than any work we could do. And the burden of the law and righteousness is on our shoulders. Yeah. And none are righteous, no, not one. And so when we have the burden of trying to keep the law, that doesn't bring us to joy. It brings us to filling heavy burdens, right? It weighs us down. But in 1 through 10, the gospel allows us to rejoice in Jesus and to remove pride over our abilities to perform for God. I have joy, real joy, because mm-hmm. the real gospel has showed me that God will do the work that I can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's a reason. And without the gospel, there is no joy. There's only heavy burdens yeah. of things that I'm trying to do on my own. All right? So yeah. let's move from real gospel, real joy, then, to talk about some key passages, right? So our goal now is we want to really quick move through the book give ourselves an overview so we get a good handle of what's going on. And we want to start by talking about and reminding you the setting of the book of Philippians. Charles, remind us what's going on here.
3: Yeah, Uh, as we said before, he's writing from house arrest, most likely in Rome, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, who themselves were facing persecution from without. So people outside of the church were hurting them, either by harassment, speaking against them, or actually doing things against them. But then within the church, there's selfish divisions that are happening and fracturing from within. And so Paul writes twofold, one, to thank them because of the gift that they gave and their partnership in the gospel ministry and because Epaphroditus was sent as a servant to him. And he was a great help, almost died for the cause of Christ mm-hmm. in the, with Paul. Uh, but hearing... Their circumstances, he, he writes to them and sets their mind where it should have been, just like ours needs to be and always needs to be, on the example and work of Christ. The example of Christ shown in his humble death and his serving one another above himself, but then his work that's completed. Again, you mentioned the one who began the work will bring it to completion. There's something that is started that God is doing that is evidenced in their life, and they should have confidence in that. And so with that perspective, these personal circumstances, and he talks about his own, he says these personal circumstances and outward circumstances, none of these things really should stem the overflow of joy in our hearts. That's what the gospel does. It it empowers us in the midst of all of that to remain joyful within.
1: What does it do for people that are hurting in a circumstance to have someone who's in a far worse circumstance write and encourage them? What do you think it does for what would it do for us? Like imagine, I mean, think we're in a situation with coronavirus. Now imagine someone from yeah. from prison facing death writes as a brother in Christ with, with full assurance and full joy to encourage us. Does that have power behind it? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. And yeah. that's what we see Paul yeah. doing for these believers. Now, Charles, you mentioned one thing. You, you say that there's the setting is he's writing from he's writing from prison. They're facing persecution from without. A lot of times Judaizers. But then you also mentioned that there were selfish divisions from within the church. Talk about that a little bit.
3: Yeah, I mean, as you come to Philippians 2 in particular, well, he starts in one, but he talks about standing with one another side by side for the sake of the gospel. So they're not looking, they're not to be looking at one another, they're to be looking out at the real cause of division that's coming is the enemy attacking. And so he reminds them in two and really talks about this idea of the encouragement, the the love, the affection and sympathy, and then the mind of Christ. And he reminds them of that. And then he calls out two women in particular. you, You preached on it. He says, listen, call them to live at peace with one another because the gospel is far more important than some of these circumstances. But as you were talking, like, yeah, Paul's going through worse circumstances, but the nice thing about Paul and really the sympathy of Paul and of Christ is they don't diminish the reality of the circumstances mm. that they're facing. So he's not downplaying and saying, listen, I have far worse. It's the reality of you can get through it because there are people facing worse and they are able to get through really. it. And so, yeah, that's this is a joy there as well.
1: Hope, that's what I see. Now, what's the summit passage? So one of the things we talked about, even some of our elders, Bjorn in particular, wanted us to highlight, and we agree with him, a particular passage. So as we looked about it, we w- looked over the book, we came to a passage that we think would be the summit passage. It's very central. It's, it's a main focus, and this is the passage that that we say should be the one that, if you keep your eyes on anything, keep your eyes on this one. Mm-hmm. And you alluded to it, Charles. Mm-hmm. It's uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd, do you have it there? Yep. Can you I read
0: have. it? yeah. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
1: Uh, Open discussion, guys. Why someone comes to us on the street and says, why would you choose that as the summit passage? What would you tell them? Hmm.
0: The example of the humility of Christ is, it, it's overcoming for me personally. When I think that who he was and di- didn't as, being God didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped and he humbled himself. In his perfection he humbled himself and he went to the cross on my behalf to, to, to make a way for me to be in relationship with him, with God the Father. Um, that's, the, that's the real gospel right there. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes, I look at what Jesus has done. Every imperative in this book is based upon the action of Christ already on your behalf. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mention it with he who began a good work. I didn't begin the good work. He did. Mm-hmm. He did it prior to me, and he will bring it to completion through me because he's the one who works in me. Yeah. both to will and to work, according to his good pleasure. So it's mm-hmm. from start to finish, it's always about the empowering of God, sending Christ, then sending us the Spirit to apply to us mm-hmm. the riches of what Christ has done for us. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly that's other passages of the Bible, but whenever you hear of the work of Christ on your behalf, that's why you and I are able to be joyful, because if it was based on our effort. We fail constantly, yeah. so I would have no joy because my efforts are failing. His effort is secure, mm-hmm. and I can have confidence in that very thing yeah. because it's finished. Yep.
1: You know we're going to look at some other themes here. This passage shows that if we're to have the mind of Christ, everything else that we talk about, every other theme that is fulfilled in that. Having the mind of Christ, the joy, mm-hmm. the the preferring others before yourself the contentment the obedience to God all of that is found in these few verses mm-hmm. in the example of who Jesus is and so when he says have this mind among you if you were left with anything if you just had that the other things would come along with it yeah. right but if you were la- if you pulled this ver- this portion out of yeah. Philippians then it would it would be, I think become confusing as to how how you even get to these uh, conclusions that paul's Bringing people to yeah. mm-hmm. you need this essential absolutely. absolutely. All right, so let's look at these other key passages. We're going to go through them real quick, and so we want you to have this uh, this overview. So maybe so, not quick. Well, let's <laughs> let's try to give them a, let's try to give them an overview. We want to try to give you an overview. When we put something on the screen, uh, a, a passage, we're saying that as best we could, we narrowed it down to like these are the other key themes and passages. Highlight it. Say what you want to about it. We've all kind of pulled out the verses from the passages we preached. So as you see yours, say what you need to say about it. So first and foremost, well, not foremost, but first, is chapter 1. Approve what is excellent. Charles, why did you highlight that
3: one? I highlight that because this is a, a prayer of Paul. Many times one of the prayers, or the prayers of Paul in his epistles are very important for us to highlight. And so I just want to remind us again that Paul is in particular, praying for them this specific thing. And so he highlights this. This is what I'm praying for you because I have affection for you, and this is what I want you to know, that I'm seeking God on your behalf. And he talks about this love abounding more and more with knowledge and all discernment, but his purpose is so that you and I would approve what is excellent. Again, there's many things that we could approve that are good and and helpful, but there are things that last those things that God would have us to do. And so approving what is excellent is growing in our knowledge of Christ helps us to have a greater discernment of those things that we should be doing. And you can see it. I would say the church has evidenced that, um, even during this time of the pandemic, that there has been a shaping of us to approve those things that are necessary. There's many things we could have done, Mm
4: -hmm. but
3: we're desiring to do what is excellent, what is the most needed. And so we're not just running in circles or spinning our wheels trying to get things up. What is it that must be done? That's good. And that's a constant good. prayer throughout our whole life. And mm-hmm. God fashions us mm-hmm. over time with that.
1: That sounds pretty, yeah. pretty key in a passage yeah. and in the book. Yeah. Verse 6.
0: All right, before I get to verse 6, that prayer. If you want to know how to, if you, want, if you struggle with memorizing a passage, this is the challenge. That, that prayer, Paul's prayer, um, I prayed over my family for an entire year every day. Mm. I'd pray that prayer. And at the end of the year, well, well, after a month, I had it memorized. But I memorized that as I prayed it over my family, and it has proven to be such a blessing and benefit mm. to me to have that one committed to memory. Mm. Absolutely love that one. Absolutely love it. Yeah, 1-6. I believe... Um, Gospel driven assurance. When I read this, when I read this verse, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, of Jesus Christ. We already referred to it, but when I read this, I I've sat with too many people, including myself, that even in even as I am in relationship with Christ, I often question my own salvation. Hmm especially as a young man the lord has dealt with that and now i and now i have that blessed assurance that i am saved but as a young man in particular i struggled with am i really saved but the promise that's made in this verse i am sure this paul says the one that he who began a good work in you he's going to bring it to completion at the day of christ and so this is what that means the moment the moment that a person humbles himself before the Lord, accepts the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us on our behalf on the cross. At that moment, he pours the Holy Spirit out into us, claiming us and marking us as his own. That is the beginning. That is the blessed assurance that begins with, no matter what happens from here on out, you are claimed by God. And so then you enter into this, as Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, it's the sanctification process, that's the will of the Lord for everyone that comes into relationship with Him. You enter into a process of being sanctified or taking on the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so there are things that come into life that push you around, that cause you to question, and on and on it goes, but it's all, the intention is, the intention is, to mold you and make you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So you have the beginning, Holy Spirit in you. You have this process of sanctification, which is the will of the Lord, that you would take on the likeness of Christ. And then the end, that he would bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That one day he's going to resolve all the issues we have. That's the blessed assurance and, and, and I have to add, chapter 2, verse 13 says this, for it is God who works in us. When you think about the sanctification process, it's God who works in us both to will and to work for what? His good pleasure. His good pleasure. I think of it in terms of me being a father, watching my sons succeed and fail and succeed and fail. Even in their failures, I find great pleasure in parenting them. And I am just a man. We're talking about God the Father who is saying, "I take great pleasure in working with you." Great pleasure. And when we can think, when we can think that God is pleased with us even in our failures, it doesn't change his love for us. That helps drive the blessed assurance of our salvation. That's why I love those two verses.
1: Blessed assurance. <laughs> song, that's what I could think of. That song was in my head too. That song was, was in, but in a good way. Yeah, and absolutely. I sure love that, that song, saying. but that song is impossible to sing uh, past a slow cadence. Even when I used to do this, I used to be a worship pastor like this, guys, <laughs> and I would try really. everything I could. Everything I could get the pianos to go at my pace. And sure enough, they would always no slow way. me down on that song. <laughs> I'd be like, blessed assurance, Jesus mm-hmm. is mine. Oh, what a far <laughs> taste of glory. And I tried to speed them up. Anyway, big derail. Big derail. My bad. If you had a drum,
3: they would have If you got a drum, yeah. Like.
1: No, but beautiful song. Yeah. And a beautiful point. And mm-hmm. a key theme in this passage Absolutely. is that we have that blessed assurance mm-hmm. through the work of Jesus and the mm-hmm. promise. Like It's it, mm-hmm. like the heart of God saying, I want you to know I'm going to do this in you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All right, verse 12 in chapter 1. I highlighted this one because if we're talking about joy, we look at the circumstance of Paul. He's the example of the gospel actually working in his heart to bring out real joy, right? He's in a circumstance. And if you read through chapter 1, you can see his... Is almost like his surprise, like it's almost like I was depressed here because maybe his thought was I'm hindered from the gospel getting out and doing my job because I've been arrested. But it says he found out when, like he heard that this, that, that the others and the guards were hearing that his imprisonment was for Christ and he started to realize, wow, the gospel's going out in a way that's even bigger than if I were free. And you see his whole perspective change on his circumstance and now he's rejoicing in a circumstance that otherwise would be super depressing. Yeah. And he's encouraging us as the example, like, hey, re- there is a reason to rejoice always because even in the circumstances for the world to snuff out the gospel, God will propel it into the minds of people. It can't be stopped. And he'll use us in our hard circumstances to mm-hmm. do it. So I highlighted mm-hmm. that because of that. Mm-hmm. All right? And it also, a lot's a lot from chapter 1, um, but Todd, you highlighted verses 20
0: through 25. Yeah, yeah, let me just say, well, I'll, I'll say it now. I challenged I challenged the church in the opening sermon to this series. I challenge you read through it, highlight it, highlight the passages that mean the most to you. I challenge the church to do that. And here's what I said: You'll find you're going to highlight more than is not highlighted. Mm. So when you're when you're finished, there's more highlighted than not highlighted. And so as we look through this, like already, it's like. Verse 6, verse 12, 20 to 25, chapter 1. You're going to see we, we addressed um, a handful of verses in chapter 2, but we jumped to chapter 3. It's so, so hard. Yeah. This book is so packed full of richness that it's hard to know which ones to focus on. And so, um, yeah, verses 20 to 25, Paul's great desire is that Christ would be honored. He would be honored in his body. And, and you can hear the wrestling in these verses. His desire is to depart, whether it be life, by life or death. He says, for me to live is Christ, yet to die is gain. And then the wrestling begins. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better by far. Here, here's what Paul knows. He knows the tremendous gain of death. First, he, he, he's experiencing the pull of his relationship with Christ. That, that longing in him that he knows will only be satisfied when he's standing face-to-face face with his Lord Jesus. He's, he's, he's pulling. Then the push of the hardship that he's experienced here on life, the beatings he's, he's experienced, being bitten by a snake, shipwrecked, hungry. The, the, the challenges that this life has is pushing him to heaven. So there's a pull of relationship with Christ, so the push of the hardship. Paul was constantly spent Constantly spending himself. He left nothing on the table, nothing on the field. He was ready at every moment to step in with no into heaven with no regrets. Mm. But he also knew the gain that comes from this life, saying in verse 24, is a reminder that is that is more necessary more necessary for the Philippian church that he would stay. Convinced of this, he says, I will remain and continue with you all for what? For their progress and their joy. That's the gain he sees, the spiritual progress of those he loved. And and, and let me remind you, I'm going to throw another one in here. Chapter 1, verse 8, for God is my witness, he says about these people. This one How I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And that yearning is this, is is again, it's a supernatural love for people that can only be driven by the person of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit in us. And so while he wanted to depart and be with Christ, he wanted to remain and see them progress in their relationship with the Lord because of the love he had for them and the affection he had, and the yearning he had for them.
1: That's good. We skipped chapter 2, because we've already talked about chapter yeah, 2. Yeah, So that was the summit passage. So when we got to chapter 3, we highlighted the first 11 verses. Now, we're not going to read them, but Charles and I kind of tag team preaching this section, and we've titled it, No Confidence in the Flesh. Verses 1 through 3, you dealt with, mm-hmm. um, Quick quick overview of what was going on in one through 3 yeah. what, what was he setting up there?
3: So basically he first makes a statement of rejoicing in the Lord. He, that's the first command to rejoice in the Lord. And then he reminds them that there are these people who are trying to pull them away from rejoicing in the Lord, instead rejoicing in self. And he calls them dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. So he's looking at that. And then he reminds them of who they are. And that's the key turning point of his then reflection the passage that you did is that he says we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of god glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh and that struck me hard because i am probably like most people trying to figure out exactly what needs to be done what it looks like what do i do and i look at all the commands and even as you mentioned like uh praying and experiencing the peace and don't be anxious and so on and so forth. And I look at it and I go, how in the world am I supposed to do that? And he says, listen, we worship and serve by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. We don't put confidence in the flesh.
1: 1 through 11 is huge for me, and the reason this brings us to joy, like I think about it like this, is like if if I had to give any of us, unless we're a surgeon, even a surgeon I think would have trouble, but if we were tasked with your heart is... It's failing, and you need to do open-heart surgery, and you need to do it on yourself. How much of an impossible task that would feel like, right? And that's what it's like to put confidence in the flesh. When we're blind, we do it, and we boast in our accomplishments, and we put ourselves on a pedestal, but the reality is we're trying to put confidence in our flesh to do things that are impossible. This passage is showing us that we're not the people who put confidence in the flesh because we realize Jesus has accomplished in His body what we couldn't. Yeah. And we rejoice in that. Yeah. And anything that would take us away from that mm. is garbage, mm-hmm. garbage. Anything yep. in the past, yep. anything yep. currently, we we say no to, and we run from that because that's what put heavy burdens on our shoulders, yeah. right? And so we, you preach it as a result, so we strain forward mm-hmm. to, to the prize that lies ahead, which is mm-hmm. the upward call in Christ Jesus. Yeah.
3: And mm-hmm. honestly, as Paul writes, and he says that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. Mm-hmm but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ is again that reminder again that it is imperative for us to reflect on the work that Christ has accomplished. It's not going to be found in you. It's not going to be found anywhere in your righteousness. It's yeah. the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be found mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Not ourselves, in Him.
1: And that, that takes constant effort. That's, it's ironic for me to talk about effort but the effort that we're actually putting effort into is putting no effort.
3: Well, but, the effort, he says, is that I may know Christ. Yeah. So I want to know him more. Mm-hmm. So my effort is a drive now to know him because ultimately I'm going to be resurrected with him. Mm-hmm. And he's just blown away by that perspective. It's
1: mm-hmm. good. We're always going to struggle to go back to like putting confidence in our flesh. Yeah. And that's yeah. why, like you quoted, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. That's the goal. We want to be reliant on the righteousness of Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Very key passage. Um, which brought us then to 4, 2 through 5. I preached this one a very big, I think a key theme as well because the, the, the book is very collective and then it gets very personal here at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's, he has in these mind these two women, Yodia and Syntyche. And then he's writing to a true companion. He's telling the women, he pleads with them and he says, get along stop arguing you're dividing the church what people are seeing I'm not even there and I know about the situation right and this is before facebook and internet so Paul's in prison and he knows about it so like this is this is some type of public thing that people are seeing and he says you got to work this out you got to agree in the lord and then he even says the rest of the church help these women agree and then he uses the verse I think it might be 5 I could be wrong I think it's 5 or 6 but he tells them to let their reasonableness, their reasonableness be known to everyone, right? So that's the call to all of us, like, hey, listen, divisions happen because we're not letting that be seen, that fruit of the Spirit be seen, but we're letting people see our flesh and our division. So you know what needs to come out of us is the Spirit at work, Well, we're deferring, back to chapter 2, the example of Christ, deferring others above ourselves, yeah. right? So that's why we highlighted this, big theme in the passage. And this actually is the road, if you remember, that leads to peace. If we're not doing this, these things, then the part about anxiety that comes up, it means nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Were you going to say something, Charles? No. Something?
3: No, it was brilliant.
1: And so <laughs> workout divisions, we don't have it, but this, this, this is collectively involved with the, the issue of anxiety, not being anxious, um, which is sandwiched between this and next section that Todd highlighted. Yeah, contentment in Christ alone.
0: 10 to 13. This one's most fresh on my mind, clearly. It's the one I preached last. But but when I look at that, contentment in Christ alone, um, If it, and we were just talking beforehand, if there's anything that drives anxiety, it's not being content hmm. with the situation we find ourselves in, the circumstances. and uh, And you know it. It's not, Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, uh, for I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. And then he goes through being brought low, abounding in any and every circumstance. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then the famous Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay. I, I, I imagine the Apostle Paul looking back into um, the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon writing that, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. And Paul realizing, you know what, there's there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that I can put on my tongue, put before my eyes, put in my hands, no place I can go that's going to bring me satisfaction if it's apart from Jesus Christ. There's nothing, nothing that will bring contentment like Christ. And he knew, he says, but I have learned, I have learned. It's a process, it's a learning process, coming to a place of contentment right understanding of what it is he actually needed, not wanted, but needed. Jesus walking him through the learning process and then living in the strength of Christ. And mm-hmm. as I look at that, living in the strength of Christ um, through him who strengthens me. I, I used to work out in a gym and there were guys that would come into the gym that they would spend more talking time talking than lifting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm supposing that they figured they were going to get stronger by just simply being in the gym. I think we're guilty of saying, oh, Lord, please strengthen me so I can do the things that you want me to do. <laughs> we're going to be strengthened through the learning process as, oh, no, here is another deep valley that's going to require me climbing and climbing and climbing to the summit. Strength strength, is gained. The strength of Christ is grained, gained as we submit to him and follow him through that learning process that he has for each one of us.
1: final thing that we want to highlight with these key, key theme and passages. We've gone through the whole book, but just a reminder, you heard it in the video that we showed first. The word joy, Todd, joy and rejoice is used. I couldn't remember if it was 15 or 16, so I just put both: 15 or 16 times. A lot. A lot. In like, a hun- like, like 104 words in the whole book. And then the name of Christ is mentioned 50 times. Times. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So definitely a key theme. Gospel, joy. Real gospel, real joy. Now, on to something fun as we're, we're wrapping this up. We've kind of given you an overview, but we want to get personal and pastoral with you. So I tasked us with this let's be honest segment. So I told the guys, all of us, we were, our goal is to, you know what? It's time to be honest. Go through the book. For you, pick the passages that are the hardest, hardest for you to either understand, accept. Just let's be honest. With one another, and then even pastoral about, you know, what these verses mean or how you handle them. So we'll start with Charles. Charles, you highlighted this verse. Chapter 2 verses 14 through 16, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Be honest about it.
3: Well, I love how the assumption is that we were lying previously to this whole time. So now we're gonna be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, it's not that we were. Let's be honest, Charles. Oh, not that we were okay. lying. <laughs> now <laughs> we're being honest. Now I'll tell you the truth. No, I highlighted this because as I think of just the reality of working this out, again, work out your salvation, it follows that passage. And he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, that's just a monumental failure most days in my life. Hmm. Just the reality of without grumbling or disputing. Because I can think of every good way to do it, to do anything. And if it doesn't happen that way, usually... There will be a comment, hmm. and that could be anything from my kids, my wife, you guys. I mean, just my own self. I'd be like, "Well, you're an idiot, Charles." Like, just <laughs> the reality of grumbling or disputing. I mean, I that's that seems more normal to me, and I just realize, like, through this, that is absolutely a, a fleshly reality that is being evidenced, not not the spirit. And so, God really has been taking it over in my heart to to recognize, as He says here, that. You don't do these things so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then he says, holding fast the word of life. And I remember preaching on that and just the fact of holding on to that thing. Do not let it go. And I realize when I grumble or complain is really what I'm saying is, I want to be able to have lordship over my life in order to direct my circumstances the way that I want them to be. I don't have that authority. I don't have that right. I don't have that power. And so I have to submit to God and his His way, his working, that is not the way that I would do it, but he's far wiser than me. And so every time I grumble or dispute, in, in my mind, I have to wrestle, and I have been wrestling over the fact that, Charles, you're, you're learning to trust God in the midst of these circumstances. Mm-hmm. And God, in His grace, has allowed Callie and I to work on housing projects that have done nothing of the accorded uh, time frame. And so there's very often times when I can grumble or complain, mm-hmm. and God's just been working by His power, some peace, patience. Callie recognizes it, I and mean, I'm going, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just there right now. So it'll probably change tomorrow. <laughs> yeah.
1: You also uh, highlighted I'm verse 17. Honest. Chapter yeah, three.
3: join in imitating me. I think of this as a father. How many times I say to my kids, I said, I am a, I'm not a very good example mm. of what it means to love and follow Christ. And I have to, it reminds me again to also imitate what it looks like to ask for forgiveness and to repent. Yeah. Because I am not going to succeed if I am not willing to repent in front of my kids, in front of Callie, and to them on a regular basis, and to other people. And I think of the humility of Christ, when I do not evidence humility, then I have to evidence, well, God humbles me, and then I evidence the yeah. forgiveness or repentance that is necessary. And I just think of that in terms of, I often think it's imitating that which is good, and what I do awesome, and I'm often not doing yeah. those things, I'm, I actually imitate my, my repentance and humility yeah. in that. And that's, again, a grace of the Spirit of God.
1: So if you're being honest about what's tough in the book of Philippians for you, do all things without grumbling and disputing and imitating the fatherly example of Paul. No, I totally disagree. You totally disagree. (laughs) I totally disagree. Stop it, quit! (laughs) All right, I I highlighted a few verses. First and foremost, when I read through it, the one that stood out to me was this particular uh, Mm -hmm. sentence, or half of a sentence. Chapter 1, let your manner of life, your behavior be worthy of the gospel. So like when I read that immediately there's a, there's a gut reaction of I'm not living up to this. And then this feels impossible. It feels yeah. like there's never a time in my life <laughs> where I can be like, yeah, my, uh, my life is living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Yeah. Yep, I got it. So, so then I get into this, I don't know, I don't know what to do is that, is that how it should be? Should I, should I always be humble in that sense? But then it seems like this is, this is a command or this is an expectation. If Paul can say, join in imitating me, then we can do the same thing. If Paul had con- uh, um, a clean conscience that mm-hmm. he was living, then I should be able to as well. Right? So I'm, I'm just admitting that this is tough for me. I'll read this, and that's tough for me. But I know, I know through the power of the Spirit that God does supply what we need because it is Him who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure and so that's why I have to come back to, like, chapter 4. I can't put confidence in my flesh. And I think that's what causes me to feel angst over this, is when I think about my own strength, I can't. But then chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure through things. And so there's hope mingled in it. Through the, the book supplies the hope, but it's also still tough, right? That's where I'm at with that one. And then as I was reading, not long after this portion, was this, this portion. He tells the church to work out their salvation with fear and trembling." One, it can be a controversial passage because it doesn't mean you work for your salvation. The interpretation is if salvation is in you, work to make sure that it's in you by working it out of you. Mm-hmm. So if there's Jesus in you, that's going to change the way you live. So let Jesus in you come out of you is, a, is probably the simplest way I can say it. But he says, with fear and trembling. So one, here again, is, it's similar to this, like, oh my goodness. But he says there should be fear and tribling. So then I'm assured, like, okay, there should be a somber fear over it. But I gotta admit, I gotta be honest, it's still hard. It's still hard when I read that. So it's a warning. Should be somber. Should be it, but if I'm being honest, that one's that one's tough. And then I have one more is is at the end when he says don't be anxious about anything, it's like, Yeah, I need I need to come to this every single day of my life. Hmm. Right? Because there's a lot to be anxious about. Uh, There's a lot to fear, right? This is good fear. This is bad fear, and I think, you know, if someone else can relate with me, that's that's a tough one, right? But
3: I don't think so. You don't don't think think so? Anybody else is anxious? (laughs) (laughs) No
1: one else is anxious. But yeah, those those are my uh, honest uh, my honest highlights from the Book of Philippians for me. All right, Todd. My turn. Your turn. The first verse you highlighted was any any verse. verse. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly. But well, clearly, we, want, we want to highlight the universe. You okay. need one, one verse? Is, yeah,
0: <laughs> clearly, I didn't get my verses to Jasper to put on the slides. No,
1: no. but you did say this. I so, did. You said the theme of being content no matter the situation, All right. which are the multiple verses that point this out.
0: Yeah. yeah, let's start out with this one. Okay, um, being content. I'm not going to refer to the passage again. However, it is, what is it? Um, 10 to 13 um, so there's the passage you have I'm not going to review it again being content no matter what situation I, I'm, I meet with a couple of guys um, once a week and we're talking through humility and we came to Galatians chapter 5 and you have this list of really awful things that we're not supposed to do and then you have these the fruits of the spirit but right in the middle of these really awful things that we're being challenged with is the word sensuality it's like this it's this coverall word sensuality it's 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 satisfying the senses and and I look at that and and I just I am convicted about this personally and this is how while my outward appearance might not reflect that I'm a binge eater Monday to Friday at dinnertime I can behave Friday at dinnertime all day Saturday and all day Sunday I, there's little restraint, and I say this—I say this a little bit jokingly, but also seriously. I believe in our society we have taken the word "binge" and we've made it a playful word. Mm-hmm. We have decided, oh, I have nothing to do Saturday from three in the afternoon till midnight, so I'm going to binge-watch three seasons of this whatever. And I—I'm i I'm am I'm not—I'm not casting conviction on anyone else. I'm—I'm I'm personally convicted by that. Um, how do we, what does binging look like in our lives, and how are we guilty of that? I am personally guilty of Friday evening, Saturday, and Sunday, of it's food free for all for me. And that's not an expression of contentment at all. Um, And so that's one that has really convicted me, and, uh, and I know the Lord.
1: You would say contentment would look like not needing those things not having to have that binge or that freedom in those situations in order to be content.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I Okay, so Easter basket. Let's say there are 20 chocolate eggs in there. Why can't I be satisfied with two or three? Hmm. I won't tell you. Because there's 20.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just there's, give yeah. them two or three. I'm people. from the yeah. South. You finish, so like, <laughs> man. You, you don't leave any. You clean that plate, boy. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's, no, it's a, it's, it's understanding where contentment is, and I'm not suggesting that you can't have the six or seven from time to time. I'm just like for, I'm, I'm, it's a confession. Friday night, all day Saturday, and all day Sunday. If I if it's raining outside in particular, and I don't have anything to do, that's when it that's mm. when it strikes. Um, I, I express a lack of contentment with just being. Yeah. I have to. So that's.
3: I thought so, I bad because Callie and I were going to give you a whole bag of Michigan cherry barbecue chips, but no. Great. I we going it. to. I'll hand them over to Jasper. So,
1: we actually had a specific question come in along this line. So, yeah. I think this is a good time to deal with the question. Um, actually, Charles, I'm going to ask you if you, you, I think you articulated the question earlier good before we were talking. Could you bring that question back up, kind of, and help us understand first what the question is, and let's try to answer it?
3: I hope I do it justice. Justin. Justin. Justice, S- Justin. Justin's sides. But uh, the, so the question goes along this idea of the seemingly contradictory reality that we are called to be content and yet we're also called to strain forward. Hmm. So there's a contentment that happens, but then there's also a constant push to move forward. So how, how do you balance with wisdom the reality of those two things hmm. is kind of as I understand the question which is a wrestling, because there's to be peace, yet there's not peace when you recognize, like you said, I'm not living worthy of the gospel. God is working in me. He's not finished because he began it. He's going to bring it to completion, but I still have to go. I still have to work it out. So how do you balance this peace, not being anxious, yet straining forward?
1: Mm. And be honest. Yeah, be honest. (laughs) Well, I... It sounds like the question it sounds like the question is saying what is it we're truly to be content with and what is it we should be discontent with yeah. right because those two can be married together and I think we get them so when I hear it it's we based off the book of Philippians we should be content if we have the gospel with any scenario that God brings our way mm-hmm. I am content with where you've called me to God whether that's in prison whether that's in the house that I'm currently living in, in the job that I'm currently working, with the spouse that I have, with the children that I have or do not have, with the health situation I'm in, that's the contentment that we're pushing for. Because of Jesus, I can be content in that, and I don't need to have anything outside of what I already have been given, right? But there's also a discontentment that I see through the book of Philippians as well. There's a discontentment with stagnation. There's a discontentment with with living in our life that is that is not contrary to the world. There is a discontentment with staying or going backwards. Mm-hmm. So there's a discontentment that will lead us towards something that's even greater than what we already have. So when I hear that question, that's,
3: that's how I answer it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking, contentment... Reveals itself as i don't know how to say it as life moves along, so in other words let's say you're let's say you're pursuing house repairs um, house remodel
3: let's not say because it's true we are okay
0: <laughs> um, because I just Wendy and I went through it a year and a half ago you you your contentment is expressed in whether or not you are able yeah whether or not you are able, what, is that, what are the fruits of the Spirit you express when contentment is challenged? I believe that would reveal where you're not content. So in other words, are, are you becoming impatient? Are you, are you becoming angry? Are you pushing? Are you, are you striving? When God is clearly saying, no, let's slow it down, let's take our time. I, I believe contentment reveals itself and how we express the fruits of the Spirit as we move along with... Lay out your plan. If you don't get there, hmm. you need to be okay with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's good.
3: Yeah, as I think of kind of what you alluded to, like even Paul, when he writes about not being anxious about anything, yet he writes other places that I have constant anxiety over the churches. And it doesn't seem like that's a negative thing. It makes it sound like that's actually something that he should have. And so there is a contentment for those things that are passing, fleeting, that are not going to last. You should be regularly content, putting those in the proper value. But then those things that are of absolute worth, those are the things that you are constantly pursuing, because those things, are you're seeking to attain those things. Even as Paul says, not that I've already attained this, but I press on to obtain, to hold on to it. And just the reminder again that those things that are of lasting value should ignite our hearts constantly, fuel us for greater pursuit and greater knowledge and greater joy and greater love for those things that will last. These yeah. other things, in light of that, you should, be, you should clearly have contentment for these things because these things, they're not yeah. going to satisfy you anyway, as you're saying. Yeah. They're passing. They're fleeting. Yeah. You're always trying to refuel those things. This, to understand it, is to have true joy, true yeah. lasting joy, and constant yeah. pursuit.
1: Yeah. I hear also in that question someone admitting, kind of like we did when we were honest with some of the other passages, I'm discontent with where I am spiritually because I know God's calling me to somewhere mm-hmm. later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the book supplies the, the hope in that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. Yeah. So I think we get out ahead of God sometimes. Mm. Not saying we make excuses that we're not where we are, but even Paul says not that I've already arrived, mm-hmm. but I press on, right? So there is there, there should be hope and peace for the fact that you are not where you should be because you're not going to be where you should be until you're rid of the physical body you have and given your glorified body. But He is conforming us to that image, and mm. it's a process, and He does it. So that's the hope. So you can be content with where you are, resting in the grace and the mercy and the knowledge of God, yeah. that He loves you. Yeah. He loves you regardless, and He's working in you. And so... Um, I, I sense with that heart that I can relate to of a discontentment yeah, and, a, and a heaviness yeah. of knowing like I need, I, I need to be moving on, yeah. right? But there's grace there. There's grace there that should take some of that anxiety away. Yeah,
3: that's a fine balance because you're content in Christ, but you're not content in your pursuit of Christ, mm. which is, again, that balance seems like an oxymoron yeah. because you have him fully, but you don't have him fully yeah. yet.
1: The final one you said, Todd, was uh, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Yeah,
0: here it is. If I can do this real quick, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Really, say it again. Rejoice. He says it twice. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Present your requests to God, and He will guard your heart. Or he will um, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He will bring you peace. Rejoice in the Lord. This is a hard one. This is really, really hard, because two year old in my life was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And so for 10 years, 10 years, 2 o'clock in the morning, every morning I'm getting up to check his blood sugar to make sure his blood sugar is okay, Mm. knowing if his blood sugar is not okay and it lasts through the night, what that could mean for him. Mm. Really, nights where his blood sugar wouldn't come down. I'm up every hour. Really rejoice in the Lord in that. I'm saying there were, there, were, there were many, many, many nights over 10 years where I was not rejoicing in the Lord. But where this brings me is rejoice in the Lord always. And I, and I, and I rest in His constant presence. Yeah, He's not asking us to rejoice when things are crappy. We can rejoice in the Lord because He is There. He is with us. He is working us to will and to work according to His good purpose. He is with us, stirring in us our affection for Him, crying out to us to be dependent on Him. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's not easy. And you know what? I I say this. I have two sons now with diabetes, and still rejoice in the Lord always? That's killer hard. And, And now look, I'm talking about a health issue. I'm not talking about a a spiritual issue. Both of those sons are clearly claimed by Jesus and are in relationship with him. My, My empathy goes out to you whose sons in our church, those of you whose sons are prodigal. Right now I hear you saying rejoice in the Lord always while my son is running wild or my daughter is running wild. I empathize with you in that, that it's hard to rejoice in the Lord always. But I believe the true message is he, his promises. Is he is with us. He is, he is fully aware of what's happening, and he's going to work in your behalf. Patience is really hard. Um, I empathize with you.
1: So, in conclusion, guys, what we have here is I tasked us all with one sentence. Write one sentence. Don't know what the other one's writing. One sentence conclusion for the book of Philippians, which you would want someone to remember. And so I'm going to put it on the screen. When you see your name, you read it. Mm -hmm. All right? Todd, you're first.
0: Mm -hmm. This is me. Gospel-centric joy. That's what we were after. um, is realized as the person humbly humbly accepts that salvation is through Christ alone. There is no other way. It's realized as the person willingly submits to his perfect plan, no matter what it is, and with contentment receives his determined provision. He knows what we need best.
1: Charles?
3: Yeah. Mine is rejoice in what Jesus humbly did for us. And that focus on what Jesus did empowers us to live humbly and godly lives now as we wait for glory.
1: I said without the gospel, we will forfeit purpose, one another, forgiveness, forgiveness, peace and the joy we are all desperately looking for but only found in Christ. Mm -hmm. Guys, that's our Philippians overview. Uh, Thank you for being patient with us and going through this journey with us, but we hope you were blessed remembering what the book is about. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything else you guys would like to conclude with? All right, Charles, will you pray for us? Yeah, definitely.
3: Lord Jesus, we thank you for the reminder of your word. Lord, I pray that we would not think that we've exhausted everything that's found in this book, that we would go back to it often, that we would read what you would have for us by your Spirit and hear from you again to maybe even be reminded of things that we heard and need to be uh, reminded of at a new point in time. Lord, yes, you gave us wisdom and help during this time, but Lord, we're going to need more strength in the days ahead, so help us. Lord, I thank you for Christ. I thank you for all that he's accomplished for us. I thank you for his humility, his love, mercy, and grace, and that all the benefits and blessings we have are simply from his hand and from you. So, Lord, I pray that we would walk in a manner worthy of that gospel, that you would help us always, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen.
5: The gospel changes everything point in history
1: pray church father you love us more than we know thank you for Jesus thank you for making a way so we could come to you God, forgive us. We forget that. We turn back to old ways that kept us enslaved. And when, God, we don't reflect your image properly, God, help us burn with the same love that you have for others, for those who are lost. Help us to show people that there's a better way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I thank you so much. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.